Football is back and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day. And with Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, numbers of goals and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of On the Ball in Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm the Athletic's Norwich City correspondent. I hope you are all safe and well. Uh, just when you think you've taken all the blows you can muster, along comes another, or maybe that should be a long come Norwich. Uh, City exit the FA Cup in the last eight, up going down to 10 men, playing 120 minutes and then suffering a last minute-ish defeat. Manchester United. Tim Krull didn't even get to enjoy another penalty shootout. Uh, once again, we have a nice compact podcast for you. That's certainly the aim anyway, uh, with the crew as we round up uh, the latest post-lockdown action. Uh, this time with former Norwich City press officer, Ben Mounser. Hello, Michael. And a long-come Norwich, soon-to-be-retired member and uh, soon-to-be-published author, Andrew Lorne. Yeah, hello, how are you? Very well, thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Lawn, thanks for joining us. Um, you're in uh, your original Along Come Norwich t-shirt, which is lovely, looking yeah, lovely. Yeah. For the Limited edition, these were, because at the start we weren't selling hundreds, so... You just made them for yourself. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's the way. Uh, how have you been? I've been very well, thank you. Very well indeed. I'm kind of enjoying lockdown now, in a sort of strange Stockholm Syndrome kind of way. <laughs> Are you enjoying... <laughs> Are you enjoying the football? No. Excellent. I'm not. But I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to it coming back, so I'm not surprised to not be enjoying it. Well that's fair enough. Ben, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Michael. How are you? I'm I'm more high, thank you. I'm tired. But we're okay. To celebrate the return of the Premier League, we're offering 40% off a subscription with The Athletic for a limited time only. Go to theathletic.com forward slash NorwichPod to sign up for less than £3 a month. At The Athletic, we care about your club with a dedicated journalist for every team to sign up now to enjoy unrivaled coverage and insight of all 20 sides as the season reaches its belated conclusion. Sling us what just springs into your mind if you were to sum up the game. Ben, do you want to go first? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think obviously this is the same result ultimately as the two uh, Premier League games since we returned from lockdown. Same disappointment, but kind of the feeling is is different, I think, because I think it, it kind of made me think that we as Norwich City fans really only need the team to sort of show complete desire and cohesion and and put in the kind of performance that we saw against Manchester United <clears throat> on Saturday for us to kind of be happy. Although ultimately, they're also alongside that kind of contentness at the type of performance that we put in there is the the very real disappointment of missing out on an FA Cup semi-final when we almost I'd say pretty much deserved to deserve to um deserve to get there on the basis of the performance that's my snap verdict not very snap but that was snappy enough for me Ben how about you Andy go snap yeah kind of similar encouraging I guess I think people went a bit overboard with the criticism from the first couple of Premier League games and I can understand why because people were so keen to get it back and then they were really underwhelming but yesterday was encouraging, wasn't it? It was much more the knowledge that we come to expect under Farker. 
It was, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the, the problem with the first two Premier League games was probably that there was so much riding on it. You know, Norwich had to come out and really get two positive results almost at the expense of anything else, just to give us all belief that they had something to keep fighting for. I, I, I have to say, I don't know if it's just me, but I almost feel this isn't very good for a nice positive upbeat podcast but it almost feels a little bit too encouraging everyone's almost taking it on board a bit too encouraging in the way that you know united kind of didn't didn't play their strongest side by quite a distance and um but i'm being quite harsh there because norwich had a better balance and they were clearly uh, tighter defensively um, I also think, Michael, that pe- people are, are really sort of keen after the, the, the difficult few months that we've had and obviously football-wise, the difficult week we've had with Norwich City to, to try and cling to some positives. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I understand that. And I do think there were a lot of positives alongside, as I said earlier, the, the, the direct contrast with the fact that we, we did lose and in, in a very, very difficult way with the last, last minute winner for Man United in extra time. It was. And I know I, said, I know I said encouraging, but actually you can look at it in the exact opposite way and say, it really feels now like the first two games were a real opportunity lost because all the other teams around us have lost. And if we'd played like we played yesterday, um, or if we'd even sustained the first sort of 20 minutes that we had against Southampton, then we'd, we'd probably be in a position now where we're one or two points away from safety rather than six. But yeah, I think yesterday was nice because it, it came back to a sort of sense that maybe, you know, I, well, the sense that Farker hasn't lost the dressing room and all of that nonsense that people were saying after the first couple of games. It's, it's it's interesting maybe why Daniel hasn't opted more often not to um, try and have as much possession as possible. Like I, I wouldn't, uh, Norwich were kind of respectful of Manchester United in the same way, way they were of Manchester City, which was to say, you know, we're, we're actually going to, we're going to back away here at, at times if we need to. And, and we are going to sit in and we are going to try and hit you and, and actually create some wonderful opportunities on the break because of the space we've got. Um, and it seems like they haven't been prepared to do that against any team sort of below the top three or four in, in the division. I, I just wonder maybe if maybe that shouldn't have been the case and Norwich should have maybe tried to do that more often. Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument to say that. Especially, I, I can understand why Farker went this way against Manchester United, given our performances against them earlier in the season. But um, yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know, the, the shape and the personnel in that shape, it, it, it just made us look so much more balanced and solid. Um, and and really gave us a foothold in the game. What do you reckon, Andy? Yeah, similar to Ben. And I think the opportunities that we created yesterday were the kind of opportunities that earlier on in the season when we played Man City, for example, we took all of those chances and then we won the game. And I think you can really see the difference between an on-form Timu Puki and a tired-off-form Timu Puki because it's not only the chances that he takes, but a couple of times last night where he went sort of through and then tried to play a pass and is just playing it two yards behind Campwell or whoever's coming in with him. And I think that is the big difference. It's really fine margins at this level. And when we're playing well and we're nicking balls high up the field and then breaking, we look really dangerous, but we're not taking the chances. Yeah, I think the, the one kind of negative, if you say, of the 4-3-3 is that obviously it takes that number 10 position out of the team. And obviously we've really struggled to find a solution to that number 10 role this season. But if, if you think of it from Pukki's perspective, and, and he was poor on Saturday, no doubt about it, but he's got one less player around him in that system to, to bring the best out of him. So I think, um, I'm sure we'll move on to Timu Pukki more, in more detail, but I think he um, certainly wasn't 
necessarily helped by that system, especially because, again, Buendia going forward didn't have his best game either. Those two obviously are our most creative players when they're at their best. So there are still question marks, but I think overall, in terms of the overall game plan, that system offered us a lot. And maybe to answer your question, Michael, could have been used earlier in the season. Maybe pick and choose or maybe away from home. But then, of course, we're judging everything with hindsight, which is always good fun. Um, I tell you what, now seems like a good opportunity to bring in uh, Mr. Stuart Hodge, who is back with one of his Hodge spots. Q Stew. It's good to be back, at least in this form anyway, rising like Lazarus from the dead. Now, talking of rising, Lucas Roop. What was that all about? I thought he was absolutely magnificent on Saturday. Really good performance, solid in the role defensively and offered a wee bit going forward. Maybe a bit tentative passing when he could have shot sometimes still. But for the first time, I looked at him and I saw a player that can do something for Norwich City. The shape was bang on. A lot of people thought it was going to be Emi Buendia at the 10. But that's not the way it turned out. It was Amy Buendia on the right, Todd Cantwell on the left in a 4-3-3. And I think the shape really benefited Norwich City. It's what I want to see us doing going forward. It was essentially a condensed midfield three with Roop and Kenny McLean sitting in front of Alex Tetty. And I thought what that did is it gave us a solid base that we could soak up some pressure from. No gaps for Manchester United to go into. And also, it opened up the counter-attack for us to spring on the break. And I thought that worked really well. Josip Dermich came on and I thought finally looked like the player that everyone at the club believes is there. In fits and starts, there was that one bit where he jinked into the box, showing good skill, cut it back to Emmy, whose shot went wide. I thought that was a demonstration of the kind of quality that he really does have. And we just need to unlock that on a more regular basis. No excuse for Norwich City not to compete in the remaining games now. We've shown we can do it and we need to play at that level if we can in all seven of the remaining fixtures. But on the topic of strikers, Timu Puki, what's wrong with him, guys? Just want to throw over to you. Has he lost a yard of pace? What's up with Timu? Well, let's follow on from Stuart's question, shall we? I mean, we touched on the formation, or you did um, as well, Ben. What, what do you make of it, Andy? Because it's... um. I mean, he's such a talismanic striker um, since, since, he's, since he's been here. And obviously there was a lot made of his toe injury before Christmas and how that kind of knocked him out of his, out of his stride. And, and I guess, again, some, some players probably enjoy playing in front of a crowd more than others. Yeah, I think all of those things um, are true. And I think there's an additional sort of factor in terms of he's played basically every minute for a full championship season, every single Finland game, and then every single Premier League game. And then he's had this enforced break, but it's not been a break like a pre-season would be. And then he's come back as, right, Timu, you've got to score the goals to keep us up. So I think it's a combination of things. It's not that surprising, I don't think, that a striker will have a, an off patch for a couple of months in the two years where he's basically just been on it full time. So I'm not that concerned long term. And if he's going to have a poor patch, then now when the kind of season is almost dead and buried anyway then it's fine I'd rather he came back firing in August or September or whenever we go back yeah but yeah uh, go um, on Ben no I was just gonna say I mean I, th- I think that the sort of period between now and the end of the season for Timu Puki is is an important one um not necessarily by how many goals he scores really but just how he's how he's looking um, how he's performing um, as part of the system because I'm probably a bit more concerned than Andy in the sense that I, I feel he he would have come back from this break a, a bit more invigorated than he and than he has looked certainly and if if you think about 
where we're going as a football club and you know we're likely going back down into the championship we're going to need a striker if you want to come straight back up we're going to need a striker who's going to score 15 20 goals and can we you know definitively say right now that Timu Puki is is going to do that I certainly have more doubts than I would have done a few months ago um so yeah it's an interesting one with Puki um he, he 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 was really poor and he I don't know he just he just looks really off it and has done for quite a while and I think does that really point to a, a longer term issue or is it still a kind of short term thing that can be resolved? And I'm interested to get your thoughts, Michael, as well on that. I think there's certainly the break is a really difficult one because I remember speaking to people throughout it and just the, the, the fact that it never had a, had a period really where you could switch off. I, I think they, they might've had a week off possibly where they didn't do anything, but ultimately I suppose just never quite knowing when you're going to come back. I think that in itself is probably quite, um, sort of a seed in the back of your mind it's maybe difficult to to sort of break, break do you think it's off. a psychological thing with Pookie then or are we thinking it's a it is a still a physical kind of lag from his his incredible efforts for Finland and Norwich over the last couple of years yeah no I've, I think there's definite um I probably both to be honest I, I yeah. think because I'm not sure there'll have been a break really from either like a proper break or and and then the the, the physical situation I, I do I do wonder if Tim is someone who needs who is one of those players who needs the build-up of several weeks to get to get going, just just in terms of that sort of match sharpness. Um, so I think there's an element of that as well. And I think it's it's fair to you can't assume that because he did it in the championship, and this doesn't just go for Timu, by the way, it goes for a lot of them. Just because they did it in yeah. the championship um, a season and a bit ago, that they can uh, they'll pop back in and do it again because the environment around them and, and what they've achieved since, you know, so much is is different. So. It, it will be fascinating because I've, I've always felt Tamu needs to be uh, needs to be the kind of key key figure as well. That was something that I learned in his past career that he's really excelled when he's been really really relied on, um, and now he really really has been relied on. And um, you're sort of looking at what steps up. It's interesting, Hodgie talking about Josip Dromic, who sort of came on and, and and was sort of awkward for a little bit as well, and um, and Lucas Rupp too, who. Uh, I would, I would say he played well, and, and the role seemed definitely seemed to suit him on Saturday, um, and that that in itself is is encouraging. Maybe if he can um, he can make himself useful, Andy, uh, for next yeah. season. I found the Roop one interesting because I watched the game um, at a barbecue last night with people who weren't really football fans, so I was the only one who was kind of watching it who had any sort of context as to who they were and how they'd been playing up until that point. And I felt that Roop had his most solid game by a long shot. And then when I looked on Twitter, um, maybe sort of half an hour after the final whistle, it was interesting to note the huge disparity between people who felt that he either had the best game he's ever had for us or he was still dreadful and he's a fraud of a footballer. So it was interesting to watch it with people who didn't, <laughs> who didn't kind of know that and form my own opinion in almost, in almost a bubble. And then to see the reaction afterwards was really interesting. But yeah, I agree. I think he had his best game for us so far. I don't think he pulled up any trees and I wouldn't have given him man the match but he was certainly much more solid than I've seen him so far yeah I think the aspects of his performance that stood out were the ones where sort of the layman wouldn't necessarily kind of notice the kind of defensive work the tracking of runners especially in that first half and the filling of gaps which is so crucial in that kind of three-man midfield I would I would argue Stuart's assertion that Lucas Rupp was absolutely magnificent I thought he was solid I thought he was okay I thought he certainly was one of his best performances in a Norwich shirt but I think he, for me, he's, he's the kind of player who you would define as useful. He's, he's versatile. 
He, um, I think he's actually tidier in possession than he has been, than he showed over the last couple of games. I remember when he first came into the team, he was, he was certainly tidier in possession than he has been um, since the restart. Um, he's clearly disciplined. He's clearly um, a hard worker. Um, are we are going to build a team around him to, to fire ourselves back into the Premier League? I'm not so sure, but I certainly think he has a role to play as a, as a useful kind of squad player who can operate in different roles in different systems. He's kind of the new, the new Andy Hughes. I think, and he's slightly better on the ball. Disliked by a large proportion of the fan base, but <laughs> useful, hardworking, tidy, a good squad player. Yeah, and those sort of players shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be undervalued. They should, they should be recognised for what they are. And I think he, um, yeah, looking ahead to next season, I think he will be a, a sort of useful part of that squad. Um, there was, of course, obviously a chance for Norwich to, to do something they haven't done in 30 years, which is get to an FA Cup um, or 28 years to get to an FA Cup semi-final. Um, Todd scored a, a lovely goal um, and, and Norwich certainly had their chances um, and they, they seem to have a bit more of, of their sort of swagger about them in terms of possession at times, although it was still quite hard work, is the way I'd probably put it. So, But it was nice to kind of see a spark of what they have been probably for the first time since uh, the first 10 minutes against Southampton. Um, in terms of the sending off, I mean, do we? There's two issues here. Uh, I don't think there's any arguments, although Tim Closer did try to come up with them, which was nice. Um, he's got a one-match ban that he'll now serve against Arsenal. Uh, I believe that's true, um, and so we'll probably see Alex Tetty back at centre centre half for the Arsenal game, um, which which will always be quite lively. I mean, it does, and and actually looking at the the first goal, I think as as well. Again, that those injuries Norwich have had to centre to centre back, they 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 do kind of, they just haven't had a settled opportunity really in that position all season, which has kind of undermined a lot of what Norwich have done. I feel. Yeah, I think absolutely. This the centre half crisis in sort of September, October, November is the thing that is still costing us now because it robbed us of the momentum from the championship. It robbed us of a base from which to build the kind of attacking football that we were playing in the championship because all of that relied on us being solid at the back to have that platform to break on. So I think every club feels they've had an injury uh, crisis at some point in the season and every club in the relegation zone will point to injuries and say, had it not been for those injuries, we wouldn't be there. But I genuinely do think um, just the cluster of injuries around centre-half has really been the reason why we're bottom of the league and we probably will get relegated. And that's why long-term I'm not really concerned because I genuinely think that we've got a squad and a manager who know what they're doing. They know how to play, how to be successful. And if we had a little bit of luck earlier on in the season, I don't think we would be where we are now. Yeah. 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 I agree. To bring it back to the, to the game on Saturday, Michael, I thought, yeah, I mean, the, the first goal closer is arguably at fault sort of going for a ball and, and, and sort of losing losing his position a bit. And then for the for the red card, it's a, it, it is a red card. I don't think anyone could really argue that. I think Ben Godfrey maybe put Tim Closer in a bit of an awkward situation with the, with the lunge foot towards Fernandez just before that. Um, but just on Ben Godfrey, obviously, I, th- I, th- I thought he was actually excellent yesterday. And he, um, or he, he gave the ball away a few times um, in possession, but we know he, he is really good on the ball. Actually, generally, his pass completion rates are some of the highest in the squad. But some of the nuts and bolts defending, which at times this season from Godfrey has been a bit up and down. He's, 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 not had a, he's not been plain sailing for him this year. But if you look at the kind of defender he is now up against a really tricky uh, operator in Odion Agarlo, he 
he, he got so many blocks in. He was really strong. He was really firm. And I think he, um, he's certainly a player who's going to be better off for the experiences of this season. And um, I had a quick look on Twitter and there were certainly fans of uh, higher, higher up Premier League clubs who were impressed with what Godfrey was doing yesterday from a defensive point of view. So yeah, I, I agree with Andy. It, it has been really the story of our season throughout this, this centre-back crisis. But um, there are reasons for optimism when, when you've got a young English player like Ben Godfrey at the back. There are. I, I, I do struggle to see Max, Jamal and Ben all being here next season if Norwich get relegated, I must admit. But I, I haven't reconciled that one in my head yet. It's one of the areas where um, the, the way that our club is run is going to be a benefit having gone through the coronavirus uh, pandemic because not many clubs are going to have that much money to spend this summer. And we're not in a position where we need to sell them. So I, I don't think they'll all be here, but I don't think they'll all be gone either. And I think Godfrey is one that I think Farker would genuinely like, be desperate to keep. If you're going to keep one of those three, it would be Godfrey that Farker would want. Yeah, we know he really, really likes Ben Godfrey. And yeah, I agree with you, Andy. And also, if you think about Aaron's and Jamal Lewis, we've got Sam McCallum coming in from Coventry at left back, and we've got Sam Byram, who is at right back. So, you know, while losing those two, or one of those two, would be extremely disappointing if we managed to recoup a, 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 a really good fee for one of them. We, we know that we have players there who at championship level can step in. And I also think there's an additional thing to be said with the relationship the other way in terms of Farker's obviously a big fan of Godfrey, but I genuinely think that Godfrey enjoys working under Farker. So I can't see him being desperate for a move in the same way that other people have been in the past to get away from Norwich. I think Godfrey is someone who would, would be willing to have another season under Farker. Um, and uh, just to, to flag up there, the piece I've just written today is on Todd Campwell. You'll be able to read that over on The Athletic uh, next week. Um, or Monday, tomorrow, whenever this comes out. It's, it'll be there. Just, just have a look and you'll, you'll see it in all its glorious words. Um, I thought Todd was really good. And I thought that the, the formation kind of suited him. Um, and you do sort of think about just how far that, that boy has come. It's quite, it's quite remarkable, really. And um, I, I, I kind of do hope he is one of the ones who's around next year because I think um, he, there's, there's a lot there for him still to learn. But uh, I feel like he's such a... He's such an improved player and, and he's actually now, you'd have to say, kind of a, a key element in how Norwich go about their attacking play under, under Daniel. Absolutely. Um, I, I think his rise is, is, is brilliant and, and, and it's such a great story. I remember when, when I was still at the football club, Todd was always picked out as one of the, the most talented young players. But I, I, I really remember a switch. I think it, it must have been a pre-season where his attitude really changed and he he became such a focused and driven individual not distracted by anything and I think that that kind of attitude has really um, put him in the position that he is now um at this season yeah I mean it's incredible how well he performs against the the so-called bigger teams I think he's now scored against Chelsea Man City Everton Arsenal Wolves who we can call a big team now Mm-hmm. And now Man United and his performances in those games have, have really shone. And I think that's why the talk around Todd Cantwell on a national level, there's a lot of sort of national excitement around him. He has had games where he's not been so good this season. But I don't know, there's a lot of excitement around him and rightly so because he really has stepped up to the plate and actually um, in that number 10 role where he played in the second half for a, for a spell, he, 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 he looked really promising there as well. So that, that's certainly something to think about going forward for Daniel Farker. 
I think the thing with Todd is he's brave on the ball, isn't he? He's willing to try stuff and make mistakes. And occasionally that costs us because like Emmy was against Watford, he gets caught on the ball in bad areas sometimes. But it's being brave enough to take those risks that creates the, the higher quality chances. And I think that's where he's been really impressive this season is a lot of our really high quality chances and a lot of our goals have come from a bit of Todd Cantwell brilliance on the halfway line under a bit of pressure where he's freed himself and then got the ball through to Timu or to someone on the break. Yeah, I think he really feels he belongs at, at this level and that that comes through in his performances um, and, and the type of type of play that you're talking about there, Andy, where it's it's high risk, but he, he believes he can pull it off and sometimes he doesn't, but often he does and he, he's proven that with um, his attacking contributions this season. Here, here, I agree entirely with both of you there. Um, right, next little bit, um, we like to ask, what is the question you now want answering? Gents, uh, Andy, do you want to go first? Um, what question do I want now answering? Who, who will score the goals next season if Timu doesn't to take us back into the Premier League? Yep. Yossip. That was um, that was probably going to be mine as well. I also, I also want to know when um, they're going to develop the virtual crowds enough to to shout shoots when Alex Tetty gets the ball from <laughs> from like thirty yards. I think that would add a real sort of realistic element to the the um, behind closed doors experience. What do you think, Michael? Well, in fairness, he did take a shot against Everton um, from from yeah. about twenty five yards without any encouragement. So uh, <laughs> he might not need it. Might help his shot selection, and also he's going to be playing centre back probably for like uh, yeah, Arsenal. So we won't need it. But well, you assume not. You never know, I suppose. Um, well, I'm going to leave those questions there hanging in the air because Andy, I've got no idea. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's just hope it's team and move on. But of course, uh, Daniel Sinani's coming in as well. Don't stop, you know. Possibly. How about an easier one, Michael? When can we go back to Cabo, please? Well, um, you know, poss- possibly by possibly in September, maybe. You never know. It might be <laughs> might 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 open up some some seats. Might 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 not be all of them though. <laughs> I did I did kind of miss the crowd on on Saturday. I have to say more more than in the other games. Um, how about a silver lining then? Do you want to nail nail one down from from the weekend? The silver lining for me would be that we're we're still competitive and that we haven't completely blown up over the break and fallen apart. It's there's there's still that sort of core of, of what made supporting Norwich so amazing last season is still there. I like that. And, and as Hodgie said, uh, I suppose no excuses from, from here on in <laughs> possibly. <laughs> ben. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same really the kind of um, noises that are going around after the Southampton and Everton games around, you know, players attitudes and, and the relationship with, with the manager. I think we can, we can put those to bed. Um, I think, and um, realise. I think what what the the game at the weekend told us is that you know this is a group of players who is doing everything they can in this situation, um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think going forward we we can be sure that they'll they'll continue to do that over the over the coming games. Whether we you know whether we get the results that we need is you know it's unlikely, but I think we as Norwich City fans can be satisfied that this group of players and this manager are doing everything they can to make the most of um, the situation. Definitely, more more of that, um, more of that to be seen, please. That would be great. Um, uh, next up, as we said, is Arsenal. It's at the Emirates. It's on Wednesday at six pm. Um, so you'll be able to follow that as as usual, and we'll be back with another podcast afterwards. Um, Andy, as we've got you on, um, I did want to ask you about Long Come Norwich because you, you you're ditching it personally. You're, you're running off to do something else, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so it's been three, four years now that me and John have done Long Come Norwich, and now with Tom as well. And we've achieved 
about a thousand times more than I ever imagined that we would. And it takes up a lot of time to do that. And it's just, it's got to a point, I think for me, where I've been so proud of what we've done so far that I'm not really sure what to do next because it's massively exceeded our expectations. So I've got other things um, that I'd like to do. I'd like to do my coaching badges and get back into football in terms of actually being involved in it rather than just watching it. And I'll shortly have a book uh, published to promote. So I've got plenty of other stuff to keep me busy to fill my long-come knowledge void for a bit. But I, like John and Tom are going to keep it going. It'd be great to come back in a couple of years. Oh, I'm sure you. I'm sure you will. I mean, it's worth pointing out that Long Come Norwich is, is a fan site that that also took upon itself really to to do something about the atmosphere at Carrow Road and to make Carrow Road as inclusive a place as possible as well. And the strides that have been made in terms of how the place looks on a match day, how it sounds, um, and it definitely played its part, I think, in Norwich's success uh, last season. So all credit to you and, and Ian, of course, to Tom and, and John and everyone who's volunteered and helped out. And there's a few pieces uh, around Long Come Norwich on, on The Athletic that I've written as well. Um, they'll probably, John and Tom will still come to you for, for help and advice though, won't they? I'd have thought. I'd, I'd assume so, yeah. I, I was <laughs> I always the blades behind it, so I presume they will. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and, and the book, now the book is football related too. It is, yes. The History of Football Chanting, which obviously started with Norwich and Honourable City back in the Victorian era. So uh, it's basically, it tells the story of how football chanting got from a guy in a top hat playing a piano at a Victorian dinner to what we know it as today and how it kind of changed and what societal factors influenced it and how it influences society and it's kind of a social history of Britain and football chanting. Does it does it feel like it's in a good place? Uh, uh, probably not right now because there's no crowds. But say um say up until this season and and you know the the the, the chanting and the atmosphere in grounds. I'm curious how you see it maybe compared to how it was say ten years, twenty years, thirty years ago. I think it's probably a lot better now than it was ten years ago. Um, I think people have started to realise, and I think this is again where the kind of pandemic will have a silver lining in that people realise how much of an impact a good atmosphere at a football match has on both the experience of being at the game, but also of watching it on TV and how much of an impact it has on the quality of the actual match itself. Because as you said earlier, players feed off it. So I think it's improving. I think the Premier League has a lot to learn from Germany and the Bundesliga in terms of uh, nurturing fans and fan engagement. And I think that's where Norwich have been really proactive in the last couple of years and why along come Norwich were able to have the success we had was because they kind of recognised that stuff needed to be fan-led and that we were, we, you know, we were having a positive impact on the match day experience. So to kind of help facilitate us to do that. So I think it's better than it was, but it's got a long way to go. I love it. Um, Andy, thank you for your time. Um, and uh, good luck with the book, uh, which is out thank when? Uh, well, hopefully shortly. It's oh. in the very final proofreading of layout stages. So oh. soon. It's exciting. It's exciting. Well, good luck with it. But I think that's it for uh, our time tonight and this edition of On The Ball. Um, so we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please tell your friends, family, fellow Norwich supporters, all those guys and girls. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, of course, uh, ask us or our guests any questions. And uh, you can do that by singing uh, me a tweet or direct message on Twitter at Michael J. Bailey. Uh, in the meantime, a big thank you to Ben. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks, Michael. Pleasure as always. Absolute joy. Andy, thank you too. Thank you very much for having me. A pleasure. Uh, Tom will have a lot to uh, live up to uh, on our next pod. Uh, and of course, uh, thanks to you all out there for listening and getting involved. We will return after Wednesday night's trip in the Premier League to Arsenal with another edition of On the Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. 
Until then, good night.